We're going to get back into the book of Ephesians after having been off for a month. And I do want to say a big thank you to Pastor Russell, to TJ, and to John for preaching in the month of August and for talking to us, yes, and leading us to, in the idea of life groups, life together, that we're family. So thank you to each one of them. Thank you to each one of you for being here. And, uh, and I'm excited today to be back in the book of Ephesians. But I think because we have taken a break, let's do just a moment of review. This is not in your outline. This is just to refresh your memory. The book of Ephesians is six chapters. It's 155 verses. It's three chapters on doctrine that tell us um, what we should believe. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6... The last three chapters of it tell us how to apply what we have learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The key verse in all of Ephesians, or the thesis verse of Ephesians, is Ephesians 1, 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now simply that verse means this, that any need that you have in your life today, as a child of God, you have been blessed with that need being met. And the question is not, is the need being met? The need has been met. The question is accessing it. And then that's what the rest of the book of Ephesians. Paul in chapter 1 says, I want you to understand what you have in Christ. Um, I want it to be understood. He wants in chapter 2, he says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And then he says, because you have been saved by grace through faith, that you are no longer enemies and, um, and have a difference, but you've come under the banner of Christ. You're united through the blood and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you are now a new nation, a new people. You have a new understanding. It's not how am I different, but how am I the same, and I am the same through Christ. Um, in chapter 3, he told us that we had riches, and he said, I want you to be strong to live it out. Chapter 4, he says, I want you to have unity in the body, and I want you to understand that in this new life that you are an overcomer. And then in chapter 5, he says, I want you to walk in love. You see, it's not just to be united to sit in the room together. That is united. He says, but I want you to be united in love. Now, what we know about love is love is selfish. We know that love is patient, unselfish, I'm sorry. Sometimes it looks selfish, doesn't it? There we go. And remember, I'm a little rusty. I'm catching up after a month. Everything's a workout. <laughs> love is unselfish. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love says that I will esteem you more highly than I esteem myself. So he begins to talk to us about love. And then he begins to talk to us about relationships. And the first relationship, human relationship, that he begins to speak to us about is actually in and on marriage. So take with me your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 5, and let's start reading in verse 18 to catch us up. But we're going to focus on 21 through 33. Now, I can tell you this. I'm never taught on this when there was not someone in the room that began to have feelings of emotion. Because we're going to use a couple of words that kind of stir it just a little bit, depending on your experience. 
The first phrase we're going to use is the husband is the head of the wife. And all the, the ladies sometimes begin to think, wait a minute, what does that mean? And the second phrase that we're going to use is that wives should submit to their husbands. Now, we live in an egalitarian society. And by that, I simply mean that that word submit has been robbed from the Scripture. It has been twisted from God's original understanding and has literally become a bad word in society. So what we want to do today is to take these phrases and we want to claim them again. And we want to understand what God meant from even the beginning of time back in the book of Genesis when he was thinking about this. So let's begin to read. It says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now let me ask you this. Is that how most of us speak to our husband or our wife? In songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Probably some of us, I know Pastor Russell, you do, because I can just see it glowing from you right now. Yes, I can. Um, but even some of us may not have spoken that way on the way to church this morning. But yet, here we go. God's gone to meddling in our business, and He says, This is how I want you to speak. With songs and hymns and uh, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So there's that word, that ugly word, submit. He says, I want you to submit to one another. And then almost in odd fashion, it's like he contradicts himself because now he says, wives, submit to your husband. Well, I would venture to say that many people like the understanding of submit to one another. So why did he, right after he said submit to one another, did he then go and say, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord? I think we can figure that out. For the husband is the head of the wife. Ooh, can you just hear it now? I, if you went out, here, out of here and said that, you'd be like, boo, yes, throw the bum out. I mean, that's exactly what I think would start to happen. But yet again, we're in the Word of God, the perfect Word of God that's teaching us this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Now, the he there is not the husband. He is, the, is Jesus. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Hmm. Husbands, I'm glad Gail's got nursery today, y'all. I'm just telling you right now, just so you know, and if it's on over there, please flip the switch that kills it. Got it? All right, awesome. No, I'm joking. We had a long conversation. Um, husbands, she told me exactly what that meant. <laughs> oh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Men like those first few verses. We don't like these other verses quite so much. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, 
a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let me say this before I begin. I, need, I think in this message I need to give credit in a lot of directions before I start talking. I think I need to give credit to Pastor Tony Evans, to Pastor John Piper, to Pastor Andy Stanley, to an author named Jeffrey Bromley. I think I need to give credit to staff conversations that we had this week. And certainly I need to give credit to Gail from a human perspective and obviously credit to God for writing this and uh, hopefully giving us through the Holy Spirit the ability to understand it. Well, let me say this. Before we say what submission and headship are, what submission is, what headship is, I believe we ought to define what it is not. Now, here's an interesting thing, is that when you begin to look up what submission is, you find probably just as many articles on what it's not. Therefore, if somebody felt the need to write what it was not as often as they did what it is, then that means certainly that there's been some misunderstanding or misteaching or misuse of the word. So what is it not? It is not agreeing on everything. It's not leaving your brain at the door. It's not an absence of influence. It is not putting the will of your husband above the will of God. It is not getting all of your spiritual strength and knowledge from your husband. It is not living in fear because there will be times in your married life when drawing a boundary is not only the right thing to do, it would be wrong if you did not do it. So that is what submission is not. So what is it? The first thing that Paul tells us about this passage is that it's a mystery. So rather than beginning at verse 21, I'd like for us to begin at verse 31. So let's go back and read this. For this reason, a husband, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now that's a quote from Genesis 2.24. When God joined Adam and Eve together, this is the comment that he made. He said this, and so Paul is now repeating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's repeating that. And then he goes on to say, while it's said in Genesis 2, and I'm saying it again here in Ephesians 5, he said, I want you to know this in verse 32, that this is a great mystery. So really, he's giving us three questions that we need to ask ourselves. What is headship? What is submission? And what is God asking of me as his child? Those are the things that we need to be asking and hopefully through the passage understanding. Is we've got this quote, but let me tell you first of all a mystery. In 
New Testament understanding, a mystery does not mean something too complex or deep or or distant for humans to understand. But rather it refers to a hidden purpose of God that is now revealed for our understanding and enjoyment. So it's not that you can't get it. It's just been held back and now it's being laid in front of you in a way that you understand it. So what happened back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 for this reason for this cause a man shall do this and shall do that. It has been veiled throughout the Old Testament. It has been somewhat veiled in the New Testament and now Paul is laying it on the table. He says this is a great mystery but keep reading with me. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He said, so really then, marriage is a parallel. Marriage is a comparison. What's happening between a man and a woman is a parallel to what Christ did for the body, the church. He said, what you see on earth is supposed to be a living, breathing example of who I am in the heavenlies and through the spiritual For what happens between God and man, he says, I'm using man and woman to then help you understand it. It's revealed by the apostle. He says, I'm saying that it refers to this. So marriage teaches us the greater truth of Christ and the church. So it's a metaphor. It's meant to be a living drama of how Christ and the church relate to one another. It's a comparison, if you're following me on the outline. It's one body, one flesh. Go back up with me to verse 28, where it says this. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So what does Jesus do for the church? He says he nourishes the church. It says that he cherishes the church. And he says, husbands, that's what you are to do for your wife. In other words, the one flesh union between the man and the wife means that in a sense they are now one body. So that the care that the husband gives to the wife is actually care that he gives to himself. One body. So it would be like this. Jesus, the head of the church, the bridegroom, his bride is the church. He says that I nourish the whole body, the many members. He doesn't withhold nourishment or cherish the the act of cherishing from a part of the body. So just as I would not be here today and put a tourniquet around my arm and cut off the nourishment or the cherishing of my arm because if I do, it will damage it. If I do it long enough, it will cause it to die, the limb to die, and the limb would fall off. He says, husbands, it is one body. She joined you in matrimony. And if she joined you in matrimony, she joined you as part of your body, you become one flesh. And so now, husbands, you, I, us, we are given the responsibility of nourishing her, of cherishing her, because she is me. I can't separate Gail from me. 
There are days that she might say, I wish you would put a little distance. But the reality is, spiritually, we are joined together. And so how I treat her is how I treat myself. If I am causing Gail to be less than God created her to be, or I'm not enabling her, if I'm not exalting her, really, to be what God has called her to be, then I am, as a man, sinning, and I have confession to make. So Paul says that this is what God is doing. We can't miss the point here. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of His. And husbands should nourish and cherish their wives as their own body. All of this underlines what Paul calls the profound mystery. That marriage in its deepest meaning is a copy of Christ in the church. So when we come to marriage, trying to understand marriage apart from the gospel, it's not possible. Because we have to go back to the fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So now we've got to take, if it's a copy, if it's a mirror, if it's a metaphor, then you have to say it like this. For Chris so loved Gail. I can't even say the verse with Chris and Gail in there. So, For Chris so loved Gail that he gave everything he was so that she would not perish but have real life. So when I want to understand marriage, i got to understand the gospel. Because God says to the church, I want you to go live it out. Now, that doesn't mean that we speak in fake and false and lovey-dovey and, and things that are not real. But that means when we're in conflict, we're real. That means when we have struggles, it's real. That means when she's in trouble, I'm in trouble. And just as I would jump in the water to rescue someone who is drowning, I will jump into life to rescue Gail. And husbands, you should do the same. So if you're here today, you are here today. So since you're here today, how about that? Since you're here today and if you are not married, you say, well, I'm not there. So how does this apply to me? It gives you a really good marker for what you're looking for. It gives you an idea of the person you are to pursue. So when someone comes up and says, Will we, can we enter into a relationship? Now you've got some questions to ask them. Are you an Ephesians 5 dude? Are you a man that's loving me like Christ loves the church? When I'm drowning, are you going to jump in and save me? Or are you going to go, oh no, that's her problem? That's what he's calling for. Now, I don't think anybody in this room has been perfectly an Ephesians 5 man. So men, what do we need to do? The scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to confess. And then we've got to repent. And repentance is an about face. If I've been letting Gail suffer, if I've been letting Gail struggle, then I've got to turn from that. I've got to say, whoa, God, I'm sorry. Whoa, Gail, I'm sorry. And now I begin to read, to learn, to listen to people that can help me get the train on the tracks. 
So God, show me. Paul says this thing's a mystery. He says it's a comparison. Jeffrey Bromley, the guy that I gave credit to earlier, said, As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. Paul says it's a mystery. He says it's a metaphor. It's a comparison. And husbands, you are to love your wife just as I love the church. He says he gave himself up for that. So now we need to define these roles because, again, you see, sin did not create these words of wives submit to your husbands and husbands be the head of your wife. Sin did not create that because that was back in the book of Genesis before sin. What sin did was corrupt. What sin did was distort. So the goal of marriage, of New Testament marriage, is to work to recover through the blood of Christ that we indwelling Holy Spirit to recover what was lost in the garden at the moment of sin. So to understand that, I think we have to go back now to the role. So let's go to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, since he is those things, men, this is what you're supposed to do, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her. It unpacks the role of the husband. It unpacks the role of the life. So look at it right with me on your outline. It says this, husbands are compared to Christ. Wives are compared to the church. Husbands are compared to the head. Wives are compared to the body. Husbands are commanded to love as Christ loved. And wives are commanded to submit as the church is to submit to Christ. That's what it tells us. But now there is a point of conflict. And I've already brought it to your attention the point of conflict really jumps back up at verse um, 21 when it says, Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So he has made this declaration, submit to one another, and then he points out that it should be broken up this way. The husband's the head, the wife is to submit. But he also says that the husband is to submit. The husband submits to Christ. As the husband submits to Christ, then the wife submits to the, church, to the husband. Andy Stanley was at a wedding a number of years, a number of years ago. And uh, they had used this passage in the, in the wedding. And after the reception, a group of people were sitting around. And they turned to him and said, Hey, Andy, how would you explain this? Or help us understand it. And it was not in a, boy, we really want to know. It was more in a, we don't like this and we're looking for the loophole. Where is it? And he said to the young lady that asked him the question, if you had a man that would put you first in everything, honor you above everything else, serve you like nobody's business, and he went on and gave this just lavish list 
of ways that this man was going to die to himself, as the scripture says, and that he was going to esteem her, exalt her, would you submit to this man? And before she thought about it, she blurted out an expletive and said, yes, absolutely I would. So you see, the problem is not in the roles or what God established. The problem falls in how we have been manifesting it and living it out. So how do we deal with the conflict of submit to one another? Um, wives, submit to your, hu to your husbands. It falls on what's the first part, which says husbands submit to Christ. The roles are there. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submitting to one another is seen as an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Husbands and wives who are filled with the Holy Spirit serve one another. They humble themselves and get down low to lift the other up, to exalt the other. They find ways to submit their preferences for comfort to the need of the other. Yes. So in that respect, submit to one another through the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely a very good teaching. It's not in conflict. It's not in contradiction. Because as I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I begin to follow the example of Christ. So look, look with me. So Jesus is at the Last Supper. Jesus is at the Last Supper. Everybody's hanging out. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that he is about to die. He knows that he's about to be crucified. And all of these things are going to happen. Everybody in the room is looking at Christ as the head. And Christ the head who could have immediately said, let's do this another way. How about one of y'all go to that cross? I'm going to dip out of here. That's not what he did. It says, in fact, that he donned the towel. And in donning the towel, it says that he retrieved a basin. He filled it with water, and he knelt down at each person in that room, including the one that was about to betray him, the one that was going to deny him, and the others who were going to pretty much hide out for a season till it got calm again. He knelt at each one of those people's feet, and he washed them. He never gave up his headship to serve. He never gave up his position to bow. It was already there and everybody knew it. And everybody in the room was willing to submit to him, ultimately, even to the point of death, while he was serving. So husbands, we have not been given a blank card to abuse to disrespect, to demand, or belittle, or push down. We have been given permission to bow down and serve our wives. And when we serve our wives as the Lord served the church, then she most willing, willingly will fall into the role that Christ has declared is her role. And, and here's the problem, I believe, that most of the sermons are preached by men. I'm just really being honest with you now. As best I understand it, most of the sermons are being preached by men. Most of the theology books have been written by men. And because of that, we're the one with the pen and the voice, and we get to say something. 
And we need to speak less and listen more because you need to hear me. The best theologian in my house is not me. In many, many things, the best leader in my house is not me. It's not the weak man. The man's not weak who says lead where you're strong. That's a strong man. And wives, when your husband has a a gift, use it. (laughs) Don't bow up over something that, over other things, but follow it. That's what Paul is teaching us here. He says, the roles are defined submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May it happen more, in fact. Um, um, Don't minimize the mutuality of submission or servanthood. So, here we go. We've got mutual submission, unique roles. The roles are assigned. Take your Bibles. I think this is worth flipping back to. Flip back to me to the book of Genesis. Chapter 3. This is in the garden. This is where the sin originally took place. And this is what God pronounces will be a result of that sin. To the woman he said. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Can I get an amen? Yes. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of you, cursed is the ground, eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorn and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So we've got this idea here. He talks to us about submission. The roles have been assigned. Um, Again, I told you earlier, it's not that, that, that these were created because of sin but they were distorted because of sin so how do we reestablish the order how do we recover what is lost Paul is instructing us to seek to recover what was lost in the garden when he says wives let your fallen submission be redeemed by modeling at after God's intention for the church husbands let your fallen headship be redeemed by modeling it after God's intention for Christ As I said, headship is not a right of control or to abuse or to neglect. Rather, it's the responsibility to love like Christ. We take it. We've distorted it. We say, you've got to do what I say. You've got to submit to me this way. You've got to submit to me in this room. You've got to submit to me in that room. You've got to submit to me in this area of life. And that is never what God intended, man. The way up in the Christian life is down. The way to be exalted is to surrender. He says, you surrender to Christ. And as Christ, who was the head of the church, surrendered to the church and gave himself up for her to the point of being willing to die, he says, that's what you've got to do for your family. Surrender. And then wise, when they surrender, then it says that not only should you submit, but you will be wanting to 
submit. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, I think, does two things for us. It guards against the abuses of headship by telling husbands to love like Jesus. It guards against the debasing of submission by telling wives to respond the way the church does to Christ. So how do you define headship? How do you find, define submission? Because next week we're going to spend a lot of time on this idea of headship. So if, wives, if your, church is, if your husband's going to give you one Sunday in church this year, you ought to bring him next week. If your boyfriend will give you one Sunday this year, you ought to bring him to church. Young ladies, if you have your eyes on a young man across the room and you think he might have potential to be your mister, well then sister, bring him to church next Sunday. You hear me? Because we're going to speak to it. Because while we have put a whole lot of attention in the church on submission of the wife, I think we need to put more attention to the surrender of, of the husband. So what is headship? This is what John Piper says. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. So I will tell you, in the church, we have some confession to do. Male and female, we have confession. We need to cry out, dear God, help us recover what was lost. Help us to live out what, was twist, what had been twisted. Help us to untangle it. And I can tell you this, gentlemen, because I've lived it both ways. When I do it God's way, and Gail is living out who God made her to be. It's amazing the progress that we make in life. I will give you an honest and true testimony that we are living out right this very minute. We very much want to live our life debt free. We would like to live it debt free. Gail has had a conviction of that since the day we got married. I've had more of the, I won't call it conviction, but compulsion. How about that? To get what I want when I want it and figure it out later. And that has created heartache. And since Gail started working in touch, she has a lot of time on the road in the afternoon. And Dave Ramsey is on from 3 to 5 on um, AM 640. And she comes home and tells me these stories of people making unusually low salaries that pay off unusually high debt because they came together as a couple and decided that they would say no to things to live like no one else now so they could live like no one else later. 
I didn't like the idea. Because it meant that $5 had to be accounted for. But we did. And I have been amazed at what I, we, us wasted. I, we, me. Not much us. Um, <laughs> not much us in that conversation. And how God has used it. Mutual submission. Listening to wisdom. Not bowing up and saying, well, I'm the man of this house and we'll do it this way or that way. But let each one use their own gift. And it's made a difference. Christ loved the church. And he died so you could be a part of the church. Here today, and never accepted Christ as your Savior. Don't leave till you do. Here today, and never put on the wedding ring of Christianity, baptism. Don't live here today until you declare it. That you want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Here today, and you've blown it in 50 different ways in your marriage. It's not too late. I've seen Jesus do amazing miracles in families that I didn't think miracles could happen in. Scripture says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Would you cry out to Him today? Ask Him to heal your home. Ask Him to heal the church. Ask Him to restore biblical relationships that bring Him honor. Again, single and not married today, Begin to pray, Lord, I'm waiting for Boaz. Because he lived it out actually as a human being. Lord, I'm waiting for Boaz. Show me how. Are you in that marriage that you get it? You're ready, but the husband or the wife is not? The commands are the same, but that's where the Holy Spirit's going to have to speak and say, here's where you surrender. Here's where you draw the boundary. Here's where you follow. Here's where you sit down and, and work on it. And can I tell you, that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. The church is not the place to judge. The church is the place to love and tell the truth. And support one another. So Father, this morning, as we look at this truth, God, I thank you for men like Evans and Piper and Stanley and Bromley and, and um, conversations with staff and church members. And God, I thank you for a wife that's willing to, to work through these things and to do the hard work and seeks to understand this. Lord, because I believe it's in those conversations. I believe it's in those things that have been read and those experiences that, that have been had, that the truth prevails. So Lord, help us to set aside pride, or anger, or frustration. And first come to you, to allow you to interpret our home life today. Lord, I pray for those that are in the most difficult of situations in their home. 
Lord, you'd say that when we submit to you, that you will heap grace upon us. And Lord, I ask you to do that. I ask you to, to give the wisdom to, to show where to draw the boundaries. Lord, for those that are in abusive situations, God, that you would give them the wisdom and the knowledge to know how to separate themselves from the, the mental, physical, sexual, whatever abuse that it could be there. Lord, for the perpetrators of, of ungodliness, Lord, would you convict us? Would you bring conviction into our lives to show us where we have hijacked your plan or where we're controlling a part of your plan? And, and God, that, that you would show us how to bring it to you. And Lord, would you raise up in this place men that want to sit in the worship center? God, would you raise up men that want to be in church that would want to sit beside their spouse and together say Lord teach me how to live out your truth and God just as ex physical exercises exercise produces physical endurance God that we would exercise our marriages to produce endurance Lord, we do ask for the miracle. We ask for the amazing. Because, God, I know that the family that honors you is not pleasing to, de to the devil, and he will do everything he can to fight it. So we confess we need help. We need Jesus. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need the wisdom to do for the single to do a good search. And God, we need some divine appointments for you to connect. God, I thank you. Again. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Then thank God. But if you don't, don't wait, don't delay, come and ask the question, how do I enter into this relationship? How do I enter into this thing with God? Have you been away and need to, to come back? This altar is open for you to come and pray and just cry out, Lord, here I am. Do you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Don't wait. Just declare it. Even if we have to schedule it later, come today and declare, I want to put on the wedding ring of Christianity, which is baptism. I want to let people know that I'm married to Jesus. So, Father, it's this time of response. We give it to you in Christ's name. Stand, sing, obey.